All right, let's get right into our message today. You guys enjoying the series so far uh, under the influence? How many have been here for most of it? Just raise your hand. You've been here for most of it? Good. If you have not been here for the entire series, I really encourage you to go back and just go through uh, the different messages. Um, there's one message that was not recorded that I did at Sunday Night Live that I might redo in this series if I have time. Um, so some, some people like that one. Yeah, it was on emotional healing, and I just blitzed you with information, and uh, it was just a lot to take in in one service. So I might uh, redo that. I might even do it over a two-week uh, period uh, in the future. So we'll see how that works out. But I do want to finish... Uh, uh, last week's message, we started a message entitled Squatters, and so this is going to be Squatters Part 2. Um, and there were two, two portions of text that I didn't um, put in your notes, but this is kind of a, a principle that I've um, been around a, a long time as a Christian, but the, the idea that a foothold can become a stronghold. So if somebody can just get their foot in the door, then eventually they can get all the way in your house, right? And so uh, it can, and sometimes people are looking for, in military terms, sometimes uh, um, they're looking for a beachhead, a, a, a base camp, uh, a place to, to, to try to uh, uh, create some control and influence on an area. And, and that's exactly the way a squatter is. A squatter is, is someone that's trying to uh, kind of get a, a position on your property, so to speak. And so Ephesians 4.27, it's not in your notes, but it says that uh, do not give the devil a foothold because God knows that if he can get a foothold it can become a stronghold Proverbs 427 ironically the same uh, chapter and verse but a different book in the Bible says do not turn to the right or the left remove your foot from evil so we've covered a lot in this series so far but um, one of the things that we talked about that I just want to make sure for those of you just kind of catching up we've talked about the subject of demons disembodied spirits fallen angels. And uh, if you're new and you're just hearing this for the first time online, basically we, we, we've been looking at, you know, what are some of the um, controlling influences in our life that keep us from getting from where we are now to where God wants us to be in this life. Though we might have our eternal security the, from point A to, to heaven worked out, we, we might have some impediments and impairments and some blocks from getting from where we are now to where God wants us to be in this life. And a lot of times what's influencing us adversely are demonic spirits. And, and sometimes we can come under the influence, control, um, mastery of demonic spirits. And we talked about the word demon possession, daemonai, zomai, but daemon, demon, zomai basically is talking about not ownership so much or possession in the sense that most people classically think or default to, but it's talking about control, influence. In fact, one of the translations in a biblical dictionary for this particular word is it's like, it's almost like someone's riding you, like a horse, like a horse with, with the bits in the, and, 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 uh, brains in the horse's mouth. Thank you. Uh, and just kind of taking you and, and pulling you in the different directions that you need to go. And even though you might be a, a powerful person or just like a horse, you can be controlled by something very small because it has a control in a particular part of your life. And that's exactly how uh, demons can operate as well. And so 
we've established also not only that they're real, that they can control or influence us, but that believers can be controlled or influenced by them, that believers can be uh, slaves to them or in bondage to them is kind of the biblical term. And, um, and even though that's kind of difficult sometimes to embrace, it's the only way that we can actually get to a place of freedom is if we do embrace that. And so we looked at a lot at that last week. We said, though, that that to be under the influence is like an open door. We talked a lot about open doors last week, and I'm going to talk about two more this week. But if you think about an open door, if you, if you knew there was um, you know, a thief knocking at your door, and you looked through the peephole, you would never let that thief into your house. Never, if you knew it was a thief. If you knew a thief was in your house, you wouldn't leave it there either. You'd do everything you can to get it out. Get that thief out of your life. And, and we need to treat demonic spirits the same way. They're thieves. They're cunning. They're vicious. They're crafty. And Jesus ran thieves out of the temple of God, the, the house of God, church. But he also runs thieves out of the temple of God when we're the temple of God. And so he would cast spirits out of people. And uh, he would do that often. And so if we don't deal with them... Um, if, we, if we stay empty, as it were, we talked about this from Matthew chapter 12, and we don't fill ourselves back up again with the Spirit of God, with God's vision, with purpose, with being around the right people, because there's this balance between, um, you know, the spiritual side of things, the deliverance side, but also the discipleship side, then what can happen is we'll end up ultimately doing something under their control that is out of character for us. Something that, that we regret. And sometimes people can be really great people, but they can do some really bad things. You can be a good mother, you can be a good father, a good husband, a good wife, and you find yourself in a situation, in a circumstance that you never imagined you would be in or doing something you never imagined you would do because of the influence of demonic spirits in our life. And they seek to control and, and, and destroy us. They're like the devil. They do the work of the devil. And that's why you see extreme cases of this, but they're sometimes... Uh, or more visible, maybe is the word, but you see this with, um, uh, if I was to do a sex series, uh, all the men just opened up their eyes, uh, if I was to do a sex series, there's two, two avenues that the enemy always works through, and so for, for in relationships, men are, are sanctified through sex, and women are sanctified through passion. So the enemy will always offer us an alternative and so for what we're, what, we, what we're trying to get in this arena, it's typically, not that women don't have a problem with this as well, but pornography for men. Uh, and for women, it's through emotional connections. And so uh, that women, it's through affairs. Get in, they, usually it starts with an emotional affair. And see, how do those situations happen? Why do we end up doing something that's completely out of character for us? It's because of demonic influences that we've allowed to get a foothold in our life. And eventually, they just begin to creep in and creep in. And like baby steps, baby steps are how we sometimes get out of problems, but baby steps are how we get into them as well. Nobody walked into a, you know, woke up one morning and says, I'm going to commit adultery today. Nobody walked up, woke up one morning and just said, you know, I'm just going to go do something really, really stupid. They, they, it was through baby steps, baby steps. And I'm just telling you, the enemy is always working, trying to get a foothold into our life to destroy our lives. Can I have an amen out there? And so we need deliverance, but we also need discipleships. And we talked about a little bit about two sides of freedom, but most of the series has been about the deliverance side. But I want you to know there is a discipleship side too. 
So while I don't believe there's a demon on every rock, I do believe there are demons. While I don't believe you can just, you know, just say, set me free and, and have prayer and that's over and done, I do believe in that, but I also believe that you're going to have to disciple your flesh and that there's, there's habits, and good habits precede good character, and that takes time and, and discipline. That's what discipleship is all about. But deliverance is what we've been emphasizing as we go forward. Amen? So demons are like squatters, and, and I talked to you about the definition of a squatter last week, some of the rights of a squatter, that, that a squatter has uh, a squatter can come onto your property in a legal sense and get just kind of a, a place there. And if you leave them there long enough, they can actually have the right to possess that land. It's called an actual legal term called adverse possession. If you've abdicated your role or you've left it empty, uh, a squatter can come on and at some point in time, not immediately, but over time, actually have the right to possess your property. And squatters are like demons. That's exactly what they try to do in our life as well. They, through, through um, you know, windows, openings, cracks in our lives, they get in. And if we leave them there over time, they'll have a right to stay there and even a right to take possession of parts and if, if, if possible, all of our life. And so why is this important? Because I believe that a lot of the problems that we have are not physical problems. They're not uh, relational problems. They're not practical in nature. They're spiritual in nature. A lot of the problems that we are facing, you and I are facing every single day, we're looking for sometimes external things or, or roots in certain things, but really they're spiritual roots. They're spiritual problems. And so as we address these, again, little by little, I hope that you'll see that when you get to the root of the problem, the spiritual problem, you'll see a manifestation of healing sometimes in the natural and that's what we'll talk a little bit about today in kind of these two new open doors. Last week I talked about the first open door, which was continued iniquity. I'm going to unpack two more, but before I do, uh, you can get your notes and get ready to go here. But I want you to think about something. I'm trying to teach you a few things that will just get the ball rolling. We can't address everything on a Sunday morning, but they'll, they'll guide you and help, hopefully help you guide other people. Those of you who have been mature believers for a long time, you help other people. These are going to be lenses that you look through to help people in their spiritual journey. But you need to start with you. I need to start with me. Can I have an amen? Because there's a tendency, if you don't see things the right way, and the circumstances sometimes that are opposing us, some of the uh, symptoms and signs that of sickness, uh, of the mind, uh, of the spirit, of the body, these kind of things, we can minimize and marginalize what God is trying to say through, through them to us, and then we'll go to someone or something else to try to have those problems solved or those needs met or those solutions brought. Does that make sense? I'll try to unpack that more as we get forward, go forward into the message. But we, if, when, we, when, when we don't read the signs, when we don't see that there's open doors into our life, we get frustrated with God. I see this all the time with people. And then we, we do some things that, and we turn to some things we shouldn't. And I'll, I'll give you an example of a girl that, uh, uh, it, that was in uh, my sphere of influence that I was trying to help one time. And she just got really mad at God. And she would not receive counsel and receive uh, the right perspective on God's nature and, and God's intent. And, and, and just didn't have this, she didn't have this core conviction. And the core conviction that I hope you have and that, that I've... Uh, believe I have is that when something is going wrong in my life, I don't assume it's on God's end. I assume it's on my end. 
Because God is a good God. Can, can you say that out loud? Say, God is a good God. So when you have, just because life is unfair, but God is in control. Just because bad things happen doesn't mean God isn't a good God. So there's these assumptions. So you might have questions as to why do these things happen, but there are answers uh, to those questions. And we can point those questions at God, but it doesn't mean he's still not a good God. Jesus had a really bad day on Good Friday, which we'll celebrate in a little while. That was his worst day, our best day. But he didn't say, God, you know, this is your fault. He, he did say, why have you forsaken me? Which means you can point tough questions at God, but we don't want to implicate him in the process and act like he's not a good God. Jesus didn't say God wasn't a good God. He just said, well, he's, just, he's pointing his tough questions at God, which means we can do the same thing too. But a lot of people don't do that. And in turn, they look to other things and other solutions, and sometimes they're demonic solutions. So I assume the problem's on my end. This is a value, and I believe that God wants us to be healthy and healed and whole and fulfilled and all the above. But continued iniquity, you want to look at that next, last week's message when you can if you weren't here. That's a big open door. Here's the next one, continued illness. I want to talk about continued illness. This is a sign that there could be, not always, but could be, a, this is a sign of demonic bondage in your life. I want to read from Luke chapter 13, verse 11. It says this, and behold, Luke 13, it says, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. Everybody say spirit of infirmity. So you can see there, she was sick, but the sickness was connected to a spirit, spirit of infirmity. 18 years, there's a clear sign now of a bondage. Why? Because it's, because when something's going on and 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 on, that chronicity, that pattern, that continuous uh, uh, illness is a sign of a bondage. So it's a clear indicator of a, of a, of a, because it was a continued illness. And, and she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. This is interesting. It'll come into play later. And said to her, woman, you are loosed. I think this is this, this, these are terms that are used sometimes when there's spiritual deliverance. Loosed, bound, bind. You'll hear those kind of words a lot amongst Christians. These are biblical terms. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. So he is, he is the spirit of infirmity. He was saying you're loosed from that now. And he laid his hands on her, which means you can do that. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So the point is, because it's a spirit of infirmity, it's, it, this is good news for some of us. When you know it's a spiritual problem, it's actually really easy to deal with. But the problem for most believers is they don't believe they can be in bondage. They don't believe there can be, it can be a spiritual problem. And so that's why it goes on and on and on and on. If you, as a believer, can come to the realization, revelation, that you can be in bondage and we can figure out what that spirit is, we can address it by the power of Jesus' name and the problem can go away and manifest in a physical, relational, emotional, what any arena of life. Does that make sense what I just said? I hope so. It's because it's good news, actually. So he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made, immediately she was made straight. Spirit's gone. Boom. She's straight. And glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, that's the pastor, by the way, the, the ruler of the synagogue got mad, basically. He answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now, we all know that the Bible says that, 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 you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what else is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Pharisees. <laughs> Pharisaical spirits. And so this man is, he, this is what Pharisees do. Pharisees quote a part of the Bible, but not all of it, and they add their own interpretations to it. 
That's what religious spirits do. Okay, so this pastor, he says, he says to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Now, that's actually biblical. That's the fourth commandment. But watch this interpretation of the scripture. So he says, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. He's saying this. This is his own interpretation. He's saying, come and be healed, but don't do it today. We don't, do, we don't heal people on the Sabbath. So this pastor, this Pharisee, is actually interpreting the scriptures, and it's really wrong. It's off. He's way off base. Then the Lord answered him and said, and, and by the, this is cool, it's, Jesus answered him and said, running his campaign speech and trying to be just like everybody else and everybody like him, he says, hypocrite, <laughs> hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to the water? So what, not this woman being a daughter, everybody say daughter, a daughter of Abraham. In other words, this is God's attitude towards one of his own who's in bondage. He's not trying to shame us. He's not trying to beat us up and bust us when we do wrong, but get us free. So being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound. So this was a satanic thing. Think of it. For 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, this is my girl here. This is my daughter here. <clears throat> We're all actually spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham, not by, um, let's just say, uh, the generational side of it, but the belief side of it. Jesus told us in John chapter 8, we read about this a while ago, that the true children of Abraham are daughters or sons. And Jesus is saying, this woman ought to be able to get free because she's a daughter of mine. She's a believer. She's a believer who's been in bondage for 18 years is what he's saying here. And this, there's another text, I think it's in your notes, that confirms she was a daughter of God. Galatians 3.7 says this, Therefore know that only those who are of faith, this is not heredity, but belief, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So I just wanted you to see in confirmation of that. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. So we're, daughter, we're sons and daughters of Abraham, which Jesus was referencing. And he called to her. She didn't call to him. He went out to her by faith, because of faith. Most times we're calling to Jesus, but Jesus was calling to her. He knows one of his own. Look at the attitude that he has toward her. And then he laid his hands on her, which means it's okay for us to do it too. Now, I don't think we should slap people silly like you see people on TV, evangelists on TV do, and knock people over, but it is okay to lay hands on people. Can I have an amen out there? And just, just as a side note about, I, I won't do this because I'll be tempted to, because, but one of the elementary doctrines of Christianity is called the laying on of hands. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 I think has five elementary doctrines of the Christian faith. One of them is the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands symbolizes a bunch of different stuff in the Bible. But you know from passing the sins in the Old Testament from the priest to the animal that was like an old covenant deal. Uh, but now all the sins were put on Jesus the, Jesus, the Lamb of God, in the New Testament deal. Uh, sometimes it's to distinguish leadership. Uh, sometimes it's to put favor and blessing. Sometimes Jesus lays hands on children, which, would, which we would have done tonight for the baby dedication. But a lot of times it's for the laying, uh, laying of hands is for the sick, that they might recover. And it tells us in James 5 to call for the elders of the church and pray for them, anoint them with oil, that they may be healed. If you're sick, it's really important that you come to church to have people lay hands on you. Now, I wouldn't let just anybody lay hands on you, though. 
Because you don't know where their hands have been. <laughs> you don't know where their head's at. You don't know where their spirit's at. Because there's something profound that happens through uh, transference that happens through the laying on of hands by faith. Now, we can do that in Jesus' name. But if we're not doing it in Jesus' name, then it's not good for us to be able to do that. Does that make sense, what I'm saying to you guys? So, but that's why we, we prepare and we train our teams to, when they're praying for you to be in the right state, the right mindset, to be in right standing with God. Not perfect, but to be in faith. Because if you're not praying in faith, you're praying in fear. And what are you going to transfer? Fear. You're not going to transfer faith. If you're, not praying, if you're praying and you're not in right standing and you're in sin, what are you going to transfer? Sin. So we need to be in the right place when we're doing that. But the laying on of hands is very, very powerful. And he laid hands on many, many people all the time. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, I think 5, it says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. All right? And, and then it says, nor share in other people's sins. Kind of interesting language there. Keep yourself pure, the Bible says. Hmm. Anyway, Jesus laid his hands on this woman, and this woman had a spirit of infirmity. And so, again, please understand, I'm not saying that anytime anybody is sick, they have a demon. I'm not saying if you sneeze, you know, <laughs> you, know you cough, sneeze, whatever, come out, you foul spirit. No, I'm not saying that. You know what I mean? Anytime somebody, you know, has some kind of physical manifestation does not always mean they're a demon. But it could have a demonic root or an open door to that. And, and sometimes in the words, uh, you can see that demons bring sickness. And this is a perfect example of that. And again, it can be addressed easily through Jesus. So this was a spiritual problem, a spiritual root. There's a, there's a scripture reference in your notes. I'm not going to read it from Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 61. But it's basically saying that Jesus took all these diseases away from the people of God. But because because we opened the door uh, through, by not following his ways, those diseases came back on them again. And so uh, sickness sometimes can be caused uh, by the enemy in our life. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. And look at this. It says, and healing all who were oppressed by, you could say, the power of the devil. Okay, for God was with them. They got healed on a spiritual level. Acts 19, 11 through 12 says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And then it says this, And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So sickness in spirit can be, you can see the connection between these two things. Sometimes we've opened a door, and we don't even know it. Sometimes it could be... Uh, there's so many things I could say, but, you know, bizarre accidents, you know, uh, weird, uh, you know, uh, physical manifestations, sickness with no answers. I'm going to touch some nerves here, so don't think I'm saying that this doesn't always mean you're in sin, but it could mean you have an open door. But it could be like arthritis. This is, some of this is experiential. Sometimes there are spiritual problems and people are, are manifesting physical problems, but they have a spiritual root. Arthritis, seizures would be another one. A lot of people that are filled, feeling like psych wards are demonized, demonized, just open doors. And what happened is squatters got in there and took their lives over. And all the world can do is just numb them with drugs, just, just continually to numb them because they don't know how to deal with the physical responsibility of that. Fundamentally, doctors have no answers for some of these things. But arthritis can be a spirit, for example, of bitterness or unforgiveness, um, one time, colicky children can sometimes be an open door. 
you don't have to believe this. I'm just saying this from a lot of years of ministry. One story I'll tell you real quickly. There's a girl, in our, she runs our bigs room downstairs, Nicole Boris and her Husband, our elders in our church, and their little daughter, Trinity, was born colicky, extreme. From the moment she was born, crying incessantly round the clock. They were literally going out of their minds, didn't even know how they were going to make it. And so they came, and we live right down the street here, and they came desperate, said, Pastor, would you pray for us? And we don't know what to do with little Trinity. And I said, sure. You know, actually, I'll be honest, I was a little nervous, to be honest with you. And before they started to come, I began to pray in the spirit and ask God for discern, discerning of spirits. What is this? What is going on? This doesn't make sense. They they've sought counsel, sought medical counsel, etc. And so they came and we just began to pray for them and unpack the scriptures and see what the Bible had to say about this or that. And I got a word for, uh, uh, for, for Trinity and I expressed it to the parents. I said, it's going to sound really really crazy, but uh, I'm gonna, I, I had a particular like discerning of spirits. I don't remember what it was, but I said what it was, and I said, the manifestation of her healing is going to sound a little crazy to you, but tomorrow when she wakes up, she's going to have like a rash. It's going to be all over her body, and when the rash is gone, she, the colic spirit will be gone. And she, she, like, I said, I know it's crazy. So we prayed for her, laid hands on little Trinity, and uh, spoke whatever that word was, rebuked it in Jesus' name. Next day, little Trinity woke up, rash from head to toe. She had that rash for, I, said, I even told her how long the rash would be there. And the rash was exactly how long that, I, that the, the word of the Lord had come to me and told me. And uh, after that rash was gone, little, little Trinity was just a little blessing, never cried. I won't say she never cried, she cried normally. Never cried ever again. No, that would, have been, that would have been an amazing story, wouldn't it? Never cried the rest of her life. She's like, would you pray for me? My kids. People are like leaving the room, going downstairs, getting their kids. I got to have this guy lay hands on my kids. But it was a miracle. It was a miracle. You can talk to little Trinity. She's a little blessing. But, but what should I do, you know, to figure this whole thing out? I kind of gave you some of the stuff, but sometimes you need to pray that God show you what the open door is. And, and one of the gifts that he's given us in accordance with his word, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it's kind of the charismatic sandwich. It unpacks some of these gifts that we have. And one of them is the discerning of spirits, where God can show you what that spirit is so that you can address that formally. Some situations, you need to know the root issue. In Mark chapter, I think it's... Three, it talks about the story of a strong man. You ever heard the term the strong man? Basically, there's like a gatekeeper sometimes. So when the enemy gets in there, he'll put like a big guy in the way to kind of control what comes in and what goes out. In other words, there's a controlling spirit or there's a, a gatekeeper or a, a strong man. So sometimes you want to know what that guy, you want to figure out who he is. So when I'm praying for people or I'm praying for situations in my own life, I'm not only looking for the open door, I'm looking for who is the big dog that's getting in the way of the healing the manifestation, the results, the solution that we're looking for. And you, pray, you ask God for the discerning of spirits to reveal that to you. Sometimes you have other people come into your sphere of influence and life because they can be more objective and they're not affected by the circumstances or the fear of those circumstances. And so you ask them to pray for you. And that's why you have small groups. And that's why you get around other people who are godly and mature so they can help you see what you cannot see by the spirit or even through relationship. Because sometimes it's through discipleship and sometimes it's through deliverance. This is really good teaching. I don't know if anybody's getting out of this, but so you got to get that kind of stuff, the strong man. You need to get alone sometimes to get the mind of God. So the bottom line is, is there an open door in your life? Maybe, maybe, maybe you just believed a lie about something because every bondage is built on a lie, and many people believe that sickness is just normal for them. So sometimes your open door might be you've bought a lie, 
It wasn't something sinful that got into your life. It might not even be a generational curse, although it could be that. But it might be you believe something that someone said about you. Or, and you just accepted that and that bondage. I've always stumbled over that, people say. I've always stuttered. I've always had, you know, bad sinuses. I've always, you know, struggled with lust. I, I, I just, this is just the way I am. Those are all open doors. You're believing lies and you're confessing those lies. And there's power of life and death is in the tongue according, with, according to Proverbs 18.21. Amen? So what is the lie that you buy? Here's the second thing. Or excuse me, the second one today. Continued influence. Still liking this message so far? All right, so continued illness, continued influence. This can be another open door in your life. This one's a little tougher for me. This is kind of the more difficult to talk about. But Mark 7, 24. I'm going to start reading in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Uh, From here, he arose, this is Jesus, and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. He was just that popular. For a woman whose young daughter... This will be very relevant to parents with children. For a woman whose young daughter uh, had an unclean spirit heard about him. So a, a child can have a demonic spirit. Some of you are like, I know. You should see my kids. <laughs> All right. So anyway, for the rest of us, I just wanted to make sure you had a biblical reference for that. And she came and fell at his feet. So this woman was a Greek, okay? And she, uh, and not a Jew, but, but she was also what's known as a Syrophoenician woman. I did a little history on this, so you're going to have to bear with some of the teaching on this. But she was kind of a mixture, Syrophoenician. Uh, Tyre used to be known, the Tyre used to be known as Phoenicia. Phoenicia was considered by most theologians to be like an epicenter or the seat of paganism at the time. Paganism means like, you know, uh, worship of anything other than God, uh, gods or, uh, or witchcraft and the like, Satanism and the like. And this is what was going on in Israel at the time. In fact, one of the worst, um, let's just say, uh, pagan uh, characters born in this area was Jezebel. Some of you probably know the story of Ahab. And Jezebel, Jezebel brought all kinds of occultic practices into uh, her sphere of influence. And she married, of course, Ahab, who was just kind of a wuss, or my father likes to say, a sissy king. And so um, all this occult and witchcraft stuff came from that. Uh, She was really, really bad. Um, So Syria is the other side and known in the Bible. So Phoenicia was this pagan witchcraft uh, side, and uh, uh, Syria was the other side, and it was known as a very prideful population, very filled, just we got it going on, pride people, and they, and they thought they were it, and when you put these two things together, you get, you get a really unique Syrophoenician uh, spirit or attitude, let's just say, and, and kind of this is how it looked back then, and, and we can apply it to us today, but they thought they could dabble in the occult, and it wouldn't have any effect on them adversely. And that's exactly what Christians do too. Christians wrestle Syrophoenician spirits. We can just flirt with occultic practices, but it won't affect me. It won't affect me. You say, there's no way I I would entertain any of this kind of stuff that you're talking about, Pastor. Hang on. Okay, just hang on. Because, because these spirits are very deadly, and, and, and it shows up in different ways. We sometimes do small things that are occultic, and we think it won't affect us. And we're, again, there's a form of pride behind that a lot of times. And, and we listen, and we watch, and we participate, and we observe things that have demonic influence. And I've done it a lot myself. And, and this is more extreme, but unfortunately more typical today. But I had a conversation with a particular person, and... Um, I had actually married 
uh, performed the wedding for he and his wife uh, years ago and really tried to influence them for Jesus. Uh, the husband was saved. The wife never gave her life to Christ at many, many, many biddings and many, many efforts. Um, they lost their daughter to a, to a serious disease at a very, very early age. Um, she was a teenager when she died. I remember trying to literally pray for her to come back to life, to be healed multiple times. Um, they were desperate. But underneath the mother was just, she had an open door to bitterness and anger and a lot of ugly stuff got in there toward God. And, and ultimately, she uh, brought some bad habits. We've talked about how we can be under the influence of alcohol and drugs and things like that. And so both those things she reintroduced into her life, they started to get extreme. In the process of that extreme, she, she began to pursue occultic practices and started seeing mediums so that she could talk to her dead and deceased daughter on a regular basis. And she's all messed up now. The marriage is on the fringe. Um... She's personally not doing well, and the kids that she has in this life are not doing very well at all, and I could go on about that. This is a classic or extreme example of an open door, but sometimes it starts with just small things, and when, you know, when I was investigating, you know, some of the patterns, sometimes they're in people's lives when these kind of things happen, sometimes it's just small things. Sometimes it can be occultic, I, I, I'm going to sound a little cultic myself, but occultic jewelry, and we can have certain things in our home. When I was, a, when I was a, a young man in the Christian faith, when we were trying to figure out what was going wrong in somebody's life, there was something happening, we would kind of do an inventory of people's lives. In other words, what are open doors? And one of those things we look for is occultic practices or occultic symbols or occultic you know, signs that might be in their life because they're beachheads. And the Bible has a lot to say about these kind of things and how they can impact our lives adversely. And so I could talk about this a lot, but sometimes we're literally wearing occultic symbols around our neck and we don't even know it because it looks cool, you know, and I could give you some of those if you want to see me privately. Sometimes we're listening to things like music, for example, that is demonic. I remember a young man, he was a Christian, raised in a Christian home. His father was an elder in our church for many, many years. And um, I remember, you know, they were having, he was struggling, and the parents asked if I would meet with him and spend some time with him. I said, sure, let's take a ride. We got in his car, and I remember just seeing all these CDs in his car and pentagrams and satanic symbols and, and uh, you know, things that he didn't even know, some, some of the things, what they were, and scarabs, and I could go on about some of the anks and different symbols that were on these uh, CD covers. And then I said, you know, uh, let's, let's turn on some of the music. You know, he goes, no, you don't want to listen to my music. I said, no, I want to listen to some of your music. Let's turn it on. And uh, I didn't want to listen to some of that music as soon as I turned it on. I mean, it was just absolutely piercing, you know, to my spirit, not just my ears. And I began to talk to him. I said, you don't think, you don't think this affects you? He goes, no, it doesn't affect me at all, this stuff. I said, you know this stuff has occultic roots to it, and then it's speaking things into your life and into your, into your ears and into your heart. He says, yeah, but it doesn't affect me like that. There's a Syrophoenician spirit. He was a born-again uh, Bible-believing, raising a Christian home, young man. Within six months, that young man had, you know, attempted to kill himself several times and was just all messed up. And so got in there a little bit more strong with the parents. They started removing some of these influences, and he is doing great and married and loving Jesus and got set free and has a beautiful child and is doing awesome. But 
it was a very, it was a lot of these occultic things. Movies, for example, there's 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 a movie now that's based on a game, the 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 uh, Ouija board, and uh, where this this movie they're talking to a dead girl and they're teaching us how to conjure up spirits so that we can talk to the dead. That that game came out in the late 70s, and uh, it's had uh, you know up until like 2006, it had 20 million people have purchased and played that game, one billion in sales just through a board game. Um, and supposedly it's doing way better now and it's already doubled in sales since then. That same, the same uh, creators of that particular game are the creators of Pokemon. Just so take it, now I'm going to take it and make it real to your own kids. Some, my own son was exposed to that at a young age. We didn't see anything wrong with it. We, didn't, we weren't paying attention. We weren't realizing what was going on. And we started to see some uh, interesting behaviors in him, and uh, we were very concerned about that. Started doing some investigating and realized that it did some of the same things that Dungeons & Dragons did. It was just at a kid level. It encouraged fighting, reading of minds, use of poison, mimicry, taunting, teleportation, hypnosis, and evolution as a good thing. Those were just some of the things Pokemon teaches. And so we pulled, we told him we were going to be pulling that away. And he literally had like a demonic manifestation. Like he freaked out. And uh, I'm being funny, but at the same time, I'm like, no, seriously, he really freaked out. And uh, we prayed for him and ministered to him. And I remember holding him and he was just, just screaming and shaking and just so mad that we were taking that away. It was like, it was, it was just ungodly, but within like 24 hours, not even, not even, within minutes, he was fine, but within 24 hours, he, he, was, he was fine, and we, uh, and we removed that influence from his life and saw a big difference in him. I've seen a lot of things in this particular area from a young boy all the way into ministry where, you know, it can manifest in a whole bunch of stuff, even just Halloween. Hallow means to worship. So here's, here's what I'll say about that. Don't celebrate it. If I made it simple, you can be in it but not of it. In other words, don't dress your kids up as witches and goblins and, and demonic spirits. Just don't open yourself up to that by worshiping or participating in that respect. So uh, I'm not saying that you can't have a, an enjoyable night, but I'm just saying be in it but not of it. Horoscopes. This is a lot of things that people have done. You, you, you know, you want to know what your future is? Hey, you need to read your Bibles. You need to read your Bibles. That's what your future is. Can I have an amen to that? Because it's crazy to think that you're going to know our future. They're just listening to demons if they're legit. And I'm not saying most of them are not legit. But if they are, that's, that's who they're listening to. And they're, um, they're not omniscient, but God is. And so they're just, they're just reading the signs and trying to point you in a certain direction. So seances, that still happens today. I was in the fifth grade in elementary school in Framingham and was in a seance just outside in the playground. So I can't imagine what, things are, what kind of things are going on today. So anyway, back to the story. This woman came out of an occult background, and her child had demons. Are you getting this? Her daughter had a demon because she allowed an open door into her life. And so I don't know what you think about some of this kind of stuff, but um, what do you do about it? Well, what you can do about it is you can repent. When you see some of these things in your life, and there are so many examples that I could give you today, on this particular subject, but when God, you can just ask God to show you these things. Maybe you need to seek counsel and just say, you know, is this okay? Is that okay? You know, um, and, and then remove it. 
So re- I'll talk about repentance next week a little bit more, but, but uh, there's, there's, there's sometimes repent and then we go right back to the same old thing. I want to talk about what that looks like, but ask God to forgive you for those things. So you just repent for it, and then you renounce Satan and his evil work and his kingdom in your life, specifically witchcraft and the demonic influences on your life. You just renounce all association with it, connection with it, ties to it, solically, you know, mean spirit, mind, and body in any way, and uh, those influences your life. And then what do you do? You rebuke it. Do you rebuke it in Derek Fry's name or in the church community church name? You know, you rebuke it in Jesus' name because all authority is in the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every demon spirit has to bow to the name of Jesus. And so you need to know that as a Christ follower that you have authority with and through the name of Jesus. And so you, that's all you do. Look at this. the rest of the text, Mark 7, 25. It says, For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. She came and fell at his feet. She was Syrophoenician. And then I just want you to see this interesting part here. He says, Jesus... Kept, she kept asking him to cast this demon out of her daughter, but Jesus said to her, this is what she, she, so this Syrophoenician comes to Jesus, she's desperate for deliverance, and look at what Jesus says to her. He says, let the little children be filled, be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dog. So deliverance, he's referring to, is the children's bread. Who are the children? We're the children of God. It's, it's, it's for us. And he says, and, and, and throw it to little dogs. He's referencing that we, sometimes we, you know, we take the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So the good news is, yeah, it is for the Jew first, but praise God, Gentiles get it second. Amen. But he's referencing something more here. He's talking about deliverance. Deliverance is for children of God. It's for the believers. And, it's, and he's saying, it's not right for me to give that uh, to you before I give it to the children of God. And, and, and so I can't, give it to, I can't give it to dogs. And it sounds cruel and it sounds rude and it sounds kind of, it's like if you ask me a question and I said, and a woman asked me a question, I said, you know, you're a dog, I can't answer you that question. That, that, that's what it sounds like, but that's not exactly what's happened. There's more than meets the eye in this particular verse. In fact, dogs has to mean something else. And I want to show you kind of what it means quickly. It's because it, 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 shows, it shows her heart and it shows a, a clear picture of what's really happening here. Check this out. Dogs represent something else. It's, it's, she, she, it, 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 it's uh, Revelation 22, I think, is in your notes. Verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. The tree of life is referring to heaven. And may not go through the gates into the city. This is the city of heaven, by the way. Verse 15, outside... Outside of heaven, outside are the dogs. Everybody tracking there? Outside of heaven are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So according to the Bible, outside of heaven, there are murderers, there are adulterers, there are poodles, hounds, huskies, and bull mastiffs. No, that's not what he's talking about. Okay, so I'm being funny on purpose because we have no other choice but to believe that dogs mean something else in accordance with scripture. Are you guys still out there right now? Okay, so dogs and sorcerers, etc., were outside the gates of heaven. Are they literal dogs of heaven or do they represent people? The answer is they represent people. And most scholars believe that they represent lost people. Dogs represent lost people. Another example of this is Philippians 3.2. It says, beware of dogs. This is where we get the sign on everybody's lawn. <laughs> Just seeing if everybody's paying attention. Beware of dogs. 
It says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. In other words, dogs are lost people, or the Apostle Paul just got bit by a dog. One of those two things are going on here. You're going to have to choose. But this, this is, you know, maybe this is where the song came out. Who let the dogs out? I don't know. It could be all that stuff's going on right here. I don't know. But this woman is saying, I need deliverance. I need deliverance. And, and Jesus is saying, deliverance is not for lost people. Sweetheart, it's not for lost people. And so how do you get free? Listen, listen to what happens here. How do you do it? You do what this woman did. Look what this woman did. He says what he says about her. She's, she's, she, he's saying, it's not for you first. It's for, my, it's for the children of God first. And so how do you get free? How does, how does a child of God get free? The same way she did. You humble yourself. She said, Sir, even dogs eat from the master's table. Jesus said, because of that, what? Because of that humility, because of that humility, you will and can be free. The only people who don't get free are people who don't admit it or who are not humble. In my experience as a Christ follower, my whole Christian experience, people who don't get free are people who won't admit it and people who won't humble themselves. And this woman said, even the dogs eat from the master's table. Mark 7, 20, it says, and Jesus, and she answered and said to him, Jesus, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs on the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, in other words, her humility and her faith, he said, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out of her daughter, lying on the bed. She was free. I want you to stand your feet, and I'd like the prayer team to come down if you wouldn't mind right now. I want to pray for you guys. Did you receive something from that? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. This is what I want to encourage you, because um, we're all going to go our separate ways today, and we got. I want to encourage you to really dig in. Maybe you need, if, you're, if you're single, I want you to just spend some time alone with the Lord today and just do an inventory, you know? The Bible says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and see if there be anything offensive in me. You can ask the Holy Spirit literally just to search you. Is there any, any open doors in my life, continued iniquities, that I need to stop committing certain sins? Are there any continued illnesses that are signs and indicators of a demonic bondage in my life and, and, and that I need to get free from? Are there continued influences? Is there anything occultic? Is there anything relationally toxic in my life that I've allowed into my life that might be a beachhead for the enemy to do damage, a foothold where he can create a stronghold? But more importantly, I just encourage you to humble yourself. And when you come to church, I, I, I think we need to be always willing and ready to receive prayer. Always willing to receive prayer. I'm amazed how many people come in and come out sometimes and never receive prayer. And I just want to encourage you to receive prayer today if you need it. If you know something that happened today resonated with you. In fact, just close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to see that the only person that can really help you is God. He needs to be like you're everything. There are things you go to. You would run to the doctor today. If you were sick, you'd go get a prescription as quick as you could. If you were hungry, you would run 
you would run to the refrigerator or to a restaurant or to a store or a grocery store. When we hear a storm that's coming, we go out of our way to make sure we're prepared for it. But when we're in a storm in our own personal lives, sometimes we have a hard time running to God. God is everything you need. Everything is all in Him. Every single thing that you need is found in Him. And He's the only one that can discern the problems and situations that you face in your life. Now, I want you to just listen to this song as we sing this next song. And, 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 and if you need prayer, you come down. It's going to be a very still, kind of a sweet anointing thing that we're going to invite into the place. But I just want to encourage you to keep your eyes closed. Don't watch, but worship. Maybe you need to put your hand on your heart and just receive what the Holy Spirit would say to you. But I'm going to pray, and then I just ask you to come. And then at some point, in just a couple minutes, we'll dismiss you. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, God. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you do wonders in our midst and that you want to heal, you want to save, and you want to deliver. And I pray in Jesus' name that we come to you and realize that your everything we need is right here. It's right here in the house of God. It's right here in the temple of God. The Holy Spirit is in me. And greater is in me who is in the world. And I pray in Jesus' name that every person that receives prayer today would be set free. Every person that worships would feel more and more free because they came to church today. In Jesus' name, amen.